And now, congregation, while you remain standing, would you turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to read and look at together this morning just the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Hear the word of God. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that your word would not return void and empty, but would accomplish in us the very purposes for which you send it forth in this place. Father, may it be faithfully proclaimed and give us, each one of us, ears to hear and hearts that are receptive. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We come today to uh, beginning the last chapter of Hebrews. We've been spending quite a bit of time in uh, this wonderful New Testament book of the Bible. And uh, we are drawing close to an end, although uh, there are uh, still several sermons yet to preach and to hear in this great, wonderful epistle to the Hebrews. There is actually a debate, and I think I mentioned that before, whether this was originally written as a letter or whether it was a sermon that was preached and then put down as a letter that was sent out. Uh, I tend to, see, to, to believe that it was actually a sermon that was preached and then written out later. And uh, in chapter 13, as we come to this chapter... Uh, does have actually the feel of a letter. And, uh, and it is typical of how uh, letters, New Testament passages uh, close. It's characteristic of a personal correspondence. And as with other New Testament writings and letters... Uh, particularly of Paul, but uh, also of Peter and James, the letter ends with a lot of exhortations. And that is what we have here. And often that's true of sermons as well, by the way, where uh, the, a preacher will preach, and then at the end he'll bring out some of the applications or the exhortations. That's not uncommon. And, uh, and so uh, whether it was written as an epistle or as a sermon... Nonetheless, uh, we have at this closing section a number of exhortations uh, that are given. And so, today and Lord willing, as we uh, uh, look at the next few weeks before us, the sermons are going to take on more of an exhortation feel. And I do that unhesitantly, 
uh, unapologetically uh, because that is precisely what God's Word does. As preachers, we need to be careful that we don't succumb to some of the the waves of, of teaching that happen even within the church. And one of those waves is guarding against preaching passages like this that exhort, that tell us how we ought to live. And the reason that there's that wave of, of, of I may say, uh, warning against that kind of preaching is because some preaching is only that. Some preaching we would call is just moralistic preaching. Do this, do this, do this. And where God's people who are in the pews never hear, Christ has done this for you. It's always just do this, do this. And I don't want to be that kind of a preacher, but neither do I want to be one that never calls on us to conform our life to what God's will teaches. I want to be a preacher of the word. And when the word brings us to passages like this that instruct us, then I would be unfaithful to my Lord if I ignore those passages or if I just sweep them under the rug. In other words, this passage before us, Hebrews chapter 13, tells us, let brotherly love continue. There is a, a love that God has, that we in Christ have as a gift from God that needs to be evident and needs to be cultivated among us. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. It's central to the life of faith. Central. I hope I don't need to make that uh, or, or, or beat that drum too much. How loving one another is, is just a central, foundational uh, aspect of the Christian life. In Hebrews, the whole point of, of the book of Hebrews, I just quickly reminding you, is encouraging debilitated Christians who are tired of the, of the persecution. And because of being persecuted, because of their faith, they were tempted to turn away, to turn back to Judaism. And the writer of Hebrews is pleading, don't do that. Christ is greatest of all. Why would you turn away from Christ? He is the fulfillment, and, and he is greater than all what you have in the Old Testament, than all that you have in Judaism. He is the fulfillment of it. And when we got into chapter 12, we were hearing then the, the writer of Hebrews say, keep running the race. Don't bail don't jump off the track. Keep running the race with our eyes focused upon Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. And now in chapter 13, he's giving us, I think, a description of what it means to keep running the race. It, it certainly means holding on to the faith. And that, frankly, is what we have been dealing with for about 12 chapters 
<laughs> holding on to the faith, holding on to Christ. But now he is saying, but that, that looks like something in real life. And one of the things that must be present among the people of God who are holding the faith, who are keeping the faith, is a brotherly love. Now this Jesus himself said, they will know that you are my disciples by your love. How does it show forth? How do people know that we are believing and trusting in Christ? It is by our love for one another. And the author, I think, practices what he's preaching. In uh, chapter 10, uh, we saw that, verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And so there, the, the, the writer of Hebrews, or the preacher, is saying, let us together. So he's not just saying you. He's saying, let us together consider, think about how to stir up love. To stir up one another love and good works. And this has been my prayer, congregation, as a pastor, as your pastor, and as the preacher who is preaching from this passage. I want to be used of God to stir up love among one another. So verses 1 through 3 brings us to some very practical uh, applications of this love. One is toward fellow Christians, and that's just verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Brotherly love. The love that we have for one another. And uh, I know probably in our day it's just better to say brotherly and sisterly love. Uh, but you, you know what is being said here. This is a, this is a love that is different than uh, the love between husband and wife. That's a very in intimate love. It is brotherly love. It's, it's love. It's love nonetheless. But it's a brotherly love that we have for one another in the body of Jesus Christ, for fellow Christians, for our brothers and sisters who are part of the family of God, because of Jesus Christ. This is essential to the Christian life of faith. As I just said a moment ago in John chapter 13, Jesus said, others will know that we are his disciples by our love. John in 1 John 3 verse 14 says, it is proof of true spiritual life, our love. Let's never degrade it. Let's never think that, oh, you know, we, we, are, we are truth people. We are people who, who want to make sure that we, we're, we're, we're faithful to what the Word of God teaches us regarding doctrine. And we are that. But we're called upon to speak the truth in love. These two should never be separated from one another. Ever. In fact, when they are separated from one another, you have problems. 
Again, you have on the one hand a, maybe a cold orthodoxy, you know, oh, we're faithful, we're, we're, we have the word of God, but it's just orthodoxy. It's just, uh, you know, it's not living, it's not warm, it's not uh, uh, welcoming to people, it's just put offish and cold. Well, we shouldn't be that. But if we have just love without the truth, then it's just kind of sloppy and, and, and it's emotionalism and there's, it, it's not grounded on anything. But we speak the truth in love and these two together. So let's not denigrate in any way the importance of love among the brethren. Let's not be a church that does that. Let's stir up one another to love and good works. And again, both John and Jesus tells us that that's, that's proof of, of spiritual life when you love one another. Paul, when he points out the fruit of the Spirit, what does that mean? It means those things that should be obvious when the Spirit is dwelling in you, the first thing he says is love. And then goes on, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But the first thing, love. Love. It just should be coming out of our pores. <laughs> love. That's who we are. And this was already, I think, true in the original uh, uh, audience. Let brotherly love continue. So there's... that. So... so the writer knew these Hebrew Christians who were debilitated and who were struggling, and he recognized that there was a love among them. They had, they had love for the brethren. They had love, a brotherly love, and he says, let it continue. They clearly must have demonstrated brotherly love in the past. And indeed, in chapter 6, verse 10, Hebrews 6, verse 10, uh, it certainly indicates that where it says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And so the, the, uh, the writer or the preacher here recognizes there's love among the, the, the people to whom he is preaching and writing. Keep that up, he's saying. Keep that up. Let it continue. Let it keep going. It's a call to keep on loving. It's a call to keep on showing love. Paul, to the church in Thessalonica and Thessalonians, says, he tells them to excel in their love. And to the Philippians, he talks about abounding in love. I think that's what this is, that's, that's the sense here, that we abound in love. And Peter wrote the same thing, that our love should abound in 2 Peter 1, verse 7. What this means is, no matter how much we may be evidencing love to one another, it's imperative that such love continue. 
Now, what can keep that from happening? What are things that can sour that among the people of God? Well, there's a number of things uh, that can do that. One uh, is having a, a, a sense of bitterness, that a root of bitterness that may, may, may grow and increase so that you're no longer loving but harsh. That can happen when something doesn't go your way or somebody says something that, uh, that maybe hurt you. There are ways that we deal with this in a loving community. That we follow what Christ has said. It, if, if you've been hurt among the body, or even outside of the body too, but we're talking particularly in, in the church and, and brotherly love among the, the congregation. If you've been hurt, then you go to that one. Seek reconciliation. Don't let it fester. Because <laughs> that's going to affect the body. Guard against any root of bitterness. Because that's going to affect your love among the body. And in fact, if you're not willing or able to go to the person or persons who maybe have hurt you, then what love does is it covers it over. But really, those are the only two options. One, love covers over a multitude of sins. And so we say, you know what, this is something, you know, I'm living in this sinful world, and sometimes people say things that I wish they didn't say or that hurt, but you know what? It's not that huge of a deal. I'm going to let it go. And that's love, covering over a multitude of sins. We, and, and I think we, we do that a lot of times. But sometimes, whatever that was, it still gets us. And it still bothers us. And we're still angry at it. And when we can't let it go, then we do have a responsibility to go to that person or person's who've hurt. So that there can be reconciliation. I've had that, I've had that where people have come to me and they were hurt by something I've said. It happens with pastors. <laughs> and uh, and what, they, what they heard, which, which maybe they heard it correctly, I didn't intend for that to be taken that way. I, I, that was not the message I was trying to, per, to, to convey, but they took it as that. And so by them coming to me was very good because then I had opportunity to clarify and to, to, to you know, and to apologize for the words that I used mistakenly or whatever it might be. But then there was reconciliation again, and that was good. And... My point of bringing this forward is because that so many times is how this brotherly love that we have for one another can be squelched through a bitterness 
to a bitterness. Um, so let brotherly love continue. That's toward fellow Christians, towards one another, towards the body. But verse 2 then brings it to a little bit further. Remember those, uh, or do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. We've all heard this verse before, I'm sure. And what this is telling us is that uh, there is a brotherly love that should continue among fellow Christians, but also towards strangers, towards people we, we, we don't know even. The, the Greek word for this hospitality is uh, philozenia. Philo, we get from like Philadelphia, the brotherly love. Uh, phileo, if you're familiar with that. Xenia means stranger. So a love of strangers, that's a hospitality, uh, the, the, the Greek word of hospitality, uh, that etymology of that. It means receiving a stranger or a sojourner into one's home as an honored guest and to provide that guest with food and shelter and protection, whatever that it means for them being in your home. Now, in many ancient cultures, and this might still be the case in, in modern cultures as well, I don't think it's so much in our Western culture or North American culture, but in, in many ancient cultures and other cultures, hospitality was considered a very solemn duty. The ancient Greeks and the Romans regarded it as a sacred obligation. The Egyptians claimed that it, was, it, it claimed hospitality as a meritorious deed in life. It merited. The, uh, the Bedouins said it was an expression of righteousness. And the Jews had a Jewish proverb that says hospitality is one form of worship. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. In the early church, early Christian church, this was an important ministry. Fellow Christians could often be displaced because of their faith. Uh, you maybe have heard of the dispersion, but that happened, uh, you know, during the time of Rome. And, and Rome was, uh, well, Israel was under Roman rule uh, and... Christians, because of persecution, dispersed. They, they traveled and went in God's sovereign plan uh, throughout the world and spread the gospel that way. But it was because there was persecution happening at home that they dispersed. Well, as they're on their way, there weren't always inns handy. There were, public inns were scarce. They're often very costly, and sometimes not very safe. And it was a, an important ministry to offer your home to strangers who were traveling. And there were also traveling preachers and evangelists who were supported by hospitality. Uh, Third John, you know, that little third letter of John talks about that in verses 5 through 8. We're called upon to practice hospitality. That's true for all believers. In Romans 12, it 
talks about that, show hospitality to all of us. Uh, 1 Peter 4, verse 9 speaks about that as well, that hospitality is, should be part of who we are and what we do as believers. But then there are other passages that focus on particular people, like the elders in the church, in 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, and in Titus 1, verse 8. And then even widows are told in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, to show hospitality, that the widows have a particular uh, opportunities uh, to be hospitable. And so uh, it's for all of us. There are passages that say that's for the, all believers. This is one of them. But it's also a couple of passages that point to specific people in the church that should be uh, showing hospitality. And the reason that we have here, the writer says, is because by doing some have unknowingly, unwittingly entertained angels. I think he clearly has in mind here uh, those Old Testament stories in Genesis uh, chapter 18 where the angels come and Abraham feeds them. Uh, that, I think, is one of the things he has in mind there. Uh, or in actually Genesis 19, you have the, the example of Lot. And the angels come, uh, and Lot shows them hospitality. The point, I think, is not saying we should entertain strangers because it's possible that one of them might be an angel. I, I don't think that's the point of this passage. I think the point of this passage is because hospitality brings blessing. You are having the privilege of blessing somebody else who is in need or who, who uh, is lonely or whatever it might be. One often receives unexpected benefits from his or her guests. There is always that blessedness of giving. And it's a wonderful opportunity, I think, when we are hospitable to show, uh, to bear witness for Christ and his love. Hospitality is not a small matter, and it's a way that we can show love, brotherly love, even to, to strangers. If you live in a neighborhood, you have next-door neighbors or people across the street, um, those are... People that we can meet and talk to and bring, a, bring cookies to and let them know that, hey, if you ever need anything, we're here for you. you know? This is just one way of just being kind and hospitable to our next-door neighbors. Um, we should be mindful of that, thinking about that. And uh, maybe the Lord will use us to bring them the message of the gospel. And then the third people that is mentioned here are those who are prisoners and those uh, who are mistreated. Verse 3, remember those who are in prison as though in, in prison with them and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. And so there's a love that we must show to one another, to strangers and to prisoners and the persecuted and mistreated. And Christians are, were, at that time, often persecuted and mistreated because of their faith and put into prison because of their faith. Uh, prior to his conversion, 
Paul, <laughs> that's what Paul was engaged in uh, when he was Saul, uh, was engaged in persecuting and imprisoning Christians. Later, he himself was a prisoner for Christ. The Hebrews here also had uh, shown love toward prisoners. We read in Hebrews 10, verses 32 and following. Jesus says to remember and visit Christians in prison, and that was an act of devotion to himself. I was in prison and you visited me. And when people ask, when were you in prison and we did not visit you, he says, when you did not do it to the least of mine, you did not do it to me. Or when you did do it to the least of mine, you did it to me. Jesus identifies himself with the prisoner. With those who are in prison. God is pleased when we do that. Paul tells the Philippians that their care for him when he was a prisoner was a sweet-smelling sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And so we are to remember. Why remember? Why that word, remember? The sense is we have fellowship in one another's suffering. Again, this is part of the love, the brotherly love. As if you are there with them, as if you're chained there in prison with them. That's how we're supposed to approach that. That's how we're supposed to think about that, remember them in that way. The Lord intended that such connection be true uh, between members of the body. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with him. We're called upon to grieve with those who grieve as well as to rejoice with those who rejoice. But there's an empathetic love that the Scripture is calling us to, and that's what it is here. Remember those who are in prison as if you were with them in prison. Be aware of their vulnerability since you yourselves are also in the body. Understanding that we're not immune to persecution or to be mistreated. It's a sympathetic, empathetic love. And we should be sensitive to the sufferings of others. Christ provided for us a new and living way into the Holy of Holies. We are walking on that path. We are traveling that and running that race. And it's true that Jesus then made possible that close relationship that we have with God. But not only is that the case, as we experience that, it's not just that we have fellowship with God, what this is telling us is that that affects how we have fellowship with one another. And that that fellowship should be sincere, loving fellowship. Brothers and sisters, that is what we're called to. And so it naturally follows that as we draw near to God in Christ Jesus, we should also draw near to one another. And this we do when we manifest love toward one another. You know, the church shouldn't just be a marginal piece of your life. You know, you have your life, whatever that is, work, family, you name it, all of that that entails. And then, oh yeah, and then over here there's church. 
congregation, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not marginal. <laughs> We're part of the, the center the church is. Love one another. Be kind towards strangers and hospitable. Be mindful of those who are hurting and who are in prison, who are being mistreated. We are the redeemed of the Lord. We have been so abundantly blessed in Christ Jesus. We have been given eternal life. But that looks like something in real life. And the most important thing that should be evident in us is that we let brotherly love continue. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for exhorting us this morning. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would heed your word and recognize, Lord, where we fall short and change. Sanctify us, Lord, by your word, we pray. Oh, Lord, may we be a fellowship of believers. May Coram Deo be a church where it is obvious that we love one another. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.